time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. So tonight we kind of start belonging to a family, belonging to a fellowship of believers. So I want to start, I want you guys just to stand with me quietly. No talking, just stand up. You can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 if you want. If you have them, we're just going to read God's word here. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the bre- Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Everybody say together. together. And had everything in common. Everybody say everything. everything. They sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Everybody say together. In the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Everybody say together. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Pray with me. Dearly Father, thank you for tonight. I thank you for these amazing young people. God, I know that you have incredible things in store for us this year. God, I pray that we get this tonight. God, I pray that it sinks in deep into the core of our hearts, God. I pray, Father, that we begin to realize that, man, we impact and we affect this group as individuals and that this group impacts individuals. God, we love you. We praise you. Speak to us tonight. God, give us ears to hear in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? All right, you guys can have a seat. So, Talking about fellowship, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It's what they devoted themselves to. Now, that word fellowship is the word koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. It occurs 20 times in the Bible. And koinonia's primary meaning is fellowship or sharing in common or communion. All of these words relate to us being together. Now, the first occurrence of Koinonia is right there. What we just read, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So Christian fellowship is a key aspect of the Christian life. Believers in Christ are to come together. We are to come together. I would say together. In love, in faith, in encouragement. This is the essence of Koinonia, that we are together. Okay? So scripture passage, uh, this, this scripture passage that we just read, it follows the event of Pentecost. I want to give you a little background here, just real quick. This event was a very, uh, uh, was a great event, very strategically placed with, uh, uh, by God. All right? So it was, it was an encounter with God that was strategically, strategically placed by God. Now, when the believers were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, go wait for me. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Go wait there. So they're waiting there in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. It had been 50 days since the resurrection of Christ. Now, this took place, this whole idea of Pentecost, and I'm going to explain this to you, took place during the Feast of Thanksgiving for the harvested crops. And Jews from, from, from many nations had come into Jerusalem. 
People from all over the known world had come because of this festival, because of this feast that was taking place in Jerusalem. So there were all kinds of people with different languages and all this other stuff. So communication, you'd think, would be a little hard. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. So we, uh, and it was in this upper room. It was in this upper room that these faithful believers that had listened to Jesus, that were sitting up there, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, they weren't just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. I mean, they were sitting there. They were praying. They were seeking God. They were asking. They were consecrating themselves. I mean, that's what happens when you sit in an upper room waiting for God to show up. All of a sudden, things start happening in your life. Things are happening in your heart because all of your focus is, is towards God. When our focus gets on God, stuff happens. Stuff happens in us, and stuff will begin to happen around us. So they were in the upper room. Now, 50 days after the resurrection, sitting up there, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is sent, and it came, with purif- it came purifying them, cleansing them, anointing them with power and authority. This was the Holy Spirit's purpose when he came to those believers in the upper room. He came to anoint with power and authority. The same power and authority that Jesus spoke with, that Jesus walked with, that Jesus did miracles, that same power and authority that was on Jesus was sent to those believers, focused on God, waiting, wanting, desiring, hungry for God. The believers needed this anointing if they were going to live and become all that God had intended them to be. They needed it. If they were going to start the church, Remember, the church hasn't even started yet. If they were going to start this thing that God loves so much called the church and be witnesses to every part of the world, they had to have the Holy Spirit. They had to have this encounter. No one, no one could have done this in their own strength and power. No one can take the gospel in their own strength. It's got to be anointed. It's got to be the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. So after this event, the disciples walked outside. After this had taken place, the place shook. The Holy Spirit came. Scripture says there's like tongues of fire just resting on people's heads. I mean, it had to be crazy. I wish I was there. It had to be awesome. This event happened. I don't know how it began to die down or how it ceased at that moment, but it happened. But these guys were filled. They were filled. They came out of that room, empowered with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach. You see, people had gathered because they heard the sound. People had gathered because they probably felt the earth shake and they saw what was happening and what what people were saying and all this stuff. And they, they were gathered around. They walked outside. They began preaching. And it was so great because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They began preaching in the native languages of all the people that have come around them, all the people that have come from all the other nations, all the other parts of the world for this festival. They began, they began to preach in their native tongues, their own languages. Everybody could begin to understand. Everybody understood what was being preached. And that day, Scripture says that 3,000 people were added to their number, and the church was born. The church was born. And after that encounter with the Holy Spirit and the believers being clothed in power and authority, there were some amazing things that began to happen in their midst. And it was so much more than the obvious things that that we think of. You know, it was so much more than the healing, even though the healings were cool and salvations were cool and people were being added to their number daily and people were were, were being saved and, and the miracles that they witnessed. But it was even more than that. There was more that began to happen, specifically within their own relationships with each other. Remember, the majority of these early Christians were young people. 
Many of them were 16 to 25-year-olds. They were young people. And these young men and women began to experience what it meant to belong to each other. Everybody say belong. They began to experience what it meant to belong to each other. Here's some things Scripture tells us that they valued, that they had in common. First was the apostles' teaching. This was a learning church. This was a group of people that loved to learn about Jesus, that loved to learn about what he stood for and and what he spoke and the truths that came forth. They loved that. It's like the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. The teachers were the apostles and about 3,000 pupils enrolled in in spiritual kindergarten. That's what kind of took place that day. They sat at the apostles' feet. They were hungry to receive the Spirit's truth from the Word of God because it was changing their lives every day. It was changing them. Everything that they heard the apostles teach was changing them, changing their perspective, changing their outlook. It was changing them. Next, they were devoted to the fellowship. Say fellowship. This was a group of people who loved each other. I mean, genuinely, they genuinely loved each other. The fellowship of the saints, the fellowship of the saints expresses what we share together, what we give, what we receive in these priceless relationships, and encouragement and support, and in other ways as well. These early Christians were sharing life together and all that goes with it. I mean, they were sharing hospitality. They were having people over. They were going to baseball games together. They were hanging together. They were watching football together. They were playing board games together. They were rock climbing together. They were playing sports together. I mean, they were committed to the fellowship with each other every day. Every day, they were committed to each other. Look at the person sitting next to you. Don't talk. Just look. Are you committed to them? Are you committed to being Christ to them? Every day, these early believers were committed to each other. There was something that was supernatural that was beginning to take place in this group of young people, and God was all over it. God was behind it. Next, they were committed to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I mean, they were eating together daily. They were praying for one another. They were praying with one another. They were a praying church. It was natural to them. It was a daily occurrence to them. It was a daily practice to them. I mean, they were constantly praying with and for one another. When we personally pray for and with someone else, in a sense, it begins to bind us together. It binds us together in unity. We know what the other's struggling with. We know what the other's going through. We know the other's heart when we begin to pray with them. It's a, it's, it's a, a praying always brings unity. So it's like, the, it's like we were going after the same things. They were going after the same things in the same moments. They were hungry for the same things in that moment, in that day, in that time, in that early church. They were hungry for that. It brought them together. It brought unity. It's a great privilege and honor to pray for a friend. It's a much, and much deeper relationships are formed when you pray for a friend, when you pray for one another. So when they practice these things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer, when they practice these things, a powerful events begin to take place. First, Scripture says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Everybody say, awe. A sense of awe. They never failed to experience the Holy Spirit when they met together. Now that's awesome. They never failed to experience the powerful presence 
of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in their midst. They never failed. Every time they came together, they experienced it. They were in awe of the Holy Spirit in them. They were in awe of the Holy Spirit in them, not just around them, not just of faith, not just of faith with guidelines. The Holy Spirit came and rested upon them, lives inside of them. They were in awe of that. The intimacy with God that it brought, the power they felt that backed every word that they spoke, every prayer they lifted up. I mean, this was a whole new world to them. A whole new world just opened up to them. The kingdom of heaven all of a sudden became available to them. It wasn't available before. Well, all of a sudden it is now. All of a sudden they were speaking as Jesus spoke. They were healing as Jesus healed. They were casting out demons as Jesus casted out. All of a sudden, the kingdom of heaven opened up to them. Second, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. These men and women were reaching out their hands and healing people, just like they saw Jesus do so many times. They were casting out demons. They were loving the broken, the hurting, the dying. In fact, Scripture records in the book of Acts that people would try to position themselves so at least Peter's shadow would fall on them as, they, as he walked by, and they would be healed. I think there are times here in America that we've forgotten that we are a church with, anointed with power and authority. With power and authority to perform all kinds of miracles. We have forgotten sometimes that the kingdom of heaven is available to us. I mean, shouldn't we be seeing the kingdom of heaven at work on a weekly basis? On a daily basis? I mean, I was in Brazil a few years back, and we were met with tons of church pastors kind of going from church to church. And, man, just hearing how the supernatural power of Jesus was changing their neighborhoods, their communities. Healings and miracles and salvations and redemptions and freedom and bondages broken. I mean, it was awesome just to hear that. And it made me... Well, it kind of broke my heart because my mind went back to here. My mind went back to America, to how the American church functions. And there's such a lack of that. There's such a lack of Holy Spirit power. And I'm tired of, of seeing this happen in other countries and not here. I'm tired of reading about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people and anointing people. I'm tired of reading about it in books, hearing about it in people's stories. But I believe it's your generation that will restore the signs and wonders in the American church. I believe it's your generation. You've got nothing to lose. You really don't. I mean, let's be honest. The world's going to hell. It really is. You don't have anything to lose. Why not put yourself out there? Why not take a step of faith? Why not take a risk and allow God to show up and create miracles right before your eyes? Why not? Why not us? We're going to let some other youth ministry do it? We're going to let some other students do it, maybe over in China and and, and, in South America and Central America? I mean, I love going down there because it's happening and I love being a part of it. But I want it to happen here on a daily basis in your lives on a daily basis, moment by moment, when you're walking through your hallways, when you're at the grocery store, when you're getting gas in your car. Those of you that drive, I want it to happen. I want it to happen for you and in you. Third, everyone who was together had everything in common. 
meaning exactly what it says. They were together. They were together physically. They were on the same page spiritually. They had the same hunger, the same fire. They were experiencing the same awe, the same wonder. They enjoyed chocolate chip cookies, ice cream, the Ohio State Buckeyes, and the Denver Broncos. Together, they were united, one in heart and mind. Buckeye fans? All right, there's three of us. That's okay. Reunified. Reunified. That's good. Because of this unity, because of this gift of the Holy Spirit, which supernaturally brought such focus into their lives, the Lord added to their number daily. They weren't worried about their jobs. They weren't so much worried about some of the other responsibilities that they had, even though they still took care of those because they did everything for God's glory. But they were more focused on what God's plan was for them, what God desired for them that day, for what God desired for them in that moment. They had this newfound gift, this newfound power, this newfound anointing. Don't you think they were excited to use it? It's like getting a new toy or getting a new bike when you're a little kid. Like you couldn't wait. I hated getting a new bike at Christmas time because there was snow on the ground and I couldn't ride it. I mean, they were excited. They wanted to use this gift. They wanted to become better at it. They wanted, they were, they were stepping out of their comfort zones all the time. They couldn't wait. They were excited about it. The Holy Spirit supernaturally brought focus to their lives. If we will just realize what God has made available to us through the Holy Spirit, through realizing that we are his beloved children, through realizing that, you know, just exactly what Pastor Brandon spoke last week, that we are in covenant with God, not under contract. It's not about specific guidelines that we have to live up to. It's about a love, relationship, and redemption, and a love that Jesus has for you. It would focus the priorities, if we would realize that, it would focus the priorities of our lives so clearly that it would not only change us, it would change DSM, and it would change the city. The four truths, the belonging, that I feel like we can gather from this passage of Scripture. Number one, belonging to a local student ministry is the basic unit for the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in this culture today. You have to belong to the church. You have to belong to a local youth ministry. If you're out there on your own, man, you're missing it. You're missing the fellowship. You're missing belonging to one another. You're missing the encouragement. You're missing the accountability. You're missing all that. The Holy Spirit is able to work in powerful ways when a body of believers are together in one heart and one mind going in one direction, meaning they have all things in common meaning they're holding each other accountable. They're spurring each other on. They're united in their purpose. Acts 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 46 through 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. This was a group of people united. A group of people together. Here's what happens when we're not together. I need four burly guys. Come on, Jed. Where's Josh? Come on. Josh. Jed. Brayden. Brayden will work. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Josh and Brayden up front. Hey, Dan, will you come up and drive? All right. So here's what I want you guys to do. 
You guys are going to pull this way. You guys are going to pull that way. Grab your rope. That's right. You guys pull that way. You guys pull this way. All right, so listen to this. When we're not unified in one heart and one mind, when we're not together, when we're not spending time together, when we're not focusing united in purpose, this is what happens. We're pulling in two different directions. Go ahead and pull. Wow, we're getting a lot, we're getting a lot of where, we're getting, we're getting far, aren't we? Really, we're getting nowhere fast, are we? Okay, here's what I want you guys to do. Pull your ropes off the back. Here, just slip them right the other way. Yep. Come up here. Come up here, Jed. You front row people should pick up your feet. You don't want to get them run over. I'm sorry, this is your rope. Now, when we're not united, when we don't have the same heart, when we're not united under the same core values, like, for instance, say, passion, intercession, consecration, mission. When we're not united under, under a single banner, that's what happens. We pull in all different directions and we don't create any movement. There's nothing that flows from us. But when we're united under one calling, when we have one heart and one mind and purpose, now guys, don't, I don't want Dan to go over 35 miles an hour. Dan's got to be able to steer through a narrow corridor. But when we pull together, here's what happens. Go ahead and pull, guys. Here's what happens. Oh, you're up on the, you're up on the step. We might be able to pull the Jeep on the stage. I don't know. Straighten your wheels out that way just a little bit. It doesn't turn. Is the steering wheel lock? Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, pull again. It helps if the emergency brakes up. All right, go. There you go. Pull. Pull. Do you have the brakes on? <laughs> Maybe we'll leave the Jeep right here. <laughs> Is it in neutral? All right, try one more time. Pull. This all gets to the other side. There we go. There we go. See what happens when we pull together? All right, that's good. Give these guys a great hand. Listen, when we belong, when we belong together, when we belong to a local church, which Bill Hybels always says, the local church is the hope of the world. When we belong to a local youth ministry, we are all pulling in one direction. And when we all pull in one direction, we come to experience the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in our culture. Is that not what we want? Don't we want the powerful working of the Holy Spirit? Don't we want to be witnesses to God's power, to God's strength, to God's provision? Don't we want to be witnesses to our entire campuses receiving Christ, revival starting, 
fires burning in the hearts of young people? Well, David wants to be witness to it. I don't know about the rest of us. Can I get an amen? Okay. Second, belonging means you personally have a great impact on DSM or whatever body of believers you're involved with. Belonging means you, have a, you personally have a great impact on DSM. When you belong to DSM, you're going to have a great impact on DSM. I think you'd have to say after reading Acts chapter 2 that there was an amazing atmosphere taking place in that early church. It was an atmosphere of the holy, one of awe, one of divine power, expectation, and presence. But God doesn't just provide this type of atmosphere or impose it upon a group of people without their cooperation. It's just not going to happen unless we hunger for it. It's not going to happen if we're not cooperating with God and with the Holy Spirit. We have to hunger for it. These people were coming together. And when they came together, there was great expectation. There was an expectation that they would encounter the living God of the universe. Did you come in here and walk through these doors tonight expecting to encounter the living God of the universe? You should have. We come. When we come together as DSM, we are a family. When we come together, we come together with expectation. We're expecting God to move. We're expecting the Holy Spirit to come and worship to go the whole time because the Holy Spirit's moving and kids are getting saved and and people are getting set free and there's tears and there's weeping and there's hungering for God. We're expecting that to take place. I hope. And if we're not, we need to. Every time we walk in to this building, expecting to encounter God. They worship with a very clear sense of reality. The reality that God was with them, that he was present, that he stood in their midst. That was the reality to them. They knew they were standing on holy ground when they came together. They witnessed the day in and day out together as they met. This brings us to an important spiritual principle I want you guys to remember. I want you to get this. What affects DSM? The body, the church, the body of believers, the body of students. What affects DSM affects individuals in the body. And what affects the individuals in the body also affects the entire body as a whole. So basically, you reflect the body of Christ, and the body of Christ should reflect you. All right, so let's say, who can I get here? Tell me your name. Harrison. So Harrison walks into this place with expectation. All the things that are going on inside here, because he's the body of Christ, because he's a part of DSM, and we are in unity, all going the same direction, what's going on in here is going to affect all of you out there. And when he walks in here with expectation, what God is doing in the body, what God is doing out here in all of you guys, impacts him right here. What affects God? Thanks, Harrison. What affects the one affects the body. And what affects the body affects the one. So, with, so Romans 12, verse 5 says, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You cannot escape the fact that we are in this together more than we realize. We are in this together 
more than maybe we want to believe. We are in this together, though, to do a mighty work, to create a mighty movement, to start mighty revival fires. We're in this together. Because you are the church, the church is a reflection of your life. Now catch this. I want you to catch this. You ready? There is nothing going to happen in the church that is not already happening in your life. Nothing's going to happen in here if you're not bringing anything in here. You bring it with you. I mean, have you been in your prayer closet this week? Because we can tell. I can tell when I've been in my prayer closet. I can tell when I've skipped a couple days or missed a couple days. Have you been in your prayer closet? Or maybe you've been playing too many video games this week. And I'm not against video games. (laughs) David is. But I like to play video games sometimes. I just make sure I'm spending a whole lot more time with God than I am playing video games. Have you been soaking in the scriptures and God's word this week? Have you, have you been texting your friends too much and been on Facebook too much this week? What did you bring in this house tonight? What did you bring with you that's going to impact the many? Impact the body. Psalm 104 verse 4 talks about God making his ministers a flame of fire. The original word for ministers in the Hebrew was the word sharat. Say sharat. This speaks of someone who waits on, who serves, who ministers, who attends. So sharat hints of intimacy, really. Referring to those servants who serve in close proximity to the king. They were waiting. You know like a waitress comes and waits at your table, waits on you, serves you, smiles at you, gets whatever you need. We're talking about that with Jesus. Serving him, attending to him, listening for his command, listening for his word. And here's what, here's what goes, here's what God does with, with his people who wait on him. And wait doesn't mean, where are you, oh God? Are you going to show up today? Are you going to come through for me today? That's not the waiting I'm talking about. It's the waiting, it's the attending. It means you are pressing and pushing and serving and attending. You are relentless in your approach to be close to God. Relentless. And when you and I, as his people, when we wait upon God, he makes them a flame of fire, Scripture says. And he ignites them with the passions of his heart. And he inflames them with zeal for his face and for his kingdom. I mean, God's desire is to set you ablaze. You know, some of God's mightiest and most powerful angels are the mighty seraphim who burn with passion for him. They're described in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 8. And it's these angels, they really embody this idea of sharat, this idea of ministering to, serving, attending, waiting on God, because they've been doing it for centuries. They've been waiting on God since they were created, before the world began, waiting on him, attending him, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Where do they serve? Where? They're serving in the throne room of his presence. They're serving him and attending to God in the throne room. And scripture calls them holy ones. And they burn with holy fire, not because of who they are, not because of who they were created to be. They burn with a holy fire because of where they are. 
They're in close proximity to God. They're attending him. They're serving him. That's why they're holy. Because they're close. They're waiting, watching, listening, doing. Have you been in close proximity to God this week? Has your gaze been set upon him? Attending to him? Hungering for his thoughts? Hungering for what's on his heart? Have you been infatuated by his presence? Infatuated by the power of the Holy Spirit? By the anointing? By the very God of the universe living in here? Have you been infatuated with that? Have you been infatuated with the idea that you walk around? You walk around with the kingdom of heaven at your fingertips? available to you if you would just cry out for it, available to you if you would ask for it, available to you if you just get on your knees every once in a while. It's available to you. Do we want to live this life powerless? Or do we want to walk with power and might? Do we want to leave this world without leaving a mark and leaving no impact whatsoever? Or do we want stories to be written about us. Volumes of books about the revival that began to take place in this young generation. It starts now. It starts with you. I promise you, if you don't rise up, No one else will. Rise up. Hunger and thirst for God. What affects the body of Christ or DSM affects individuals. And what affects you individually, good or bad, presence of God or no presence of God, will affect DSM the body, DSM the church. This is why it's so important to realize that we belong together. Whether we like it or not, we're in this together. So let's do it right. Third truth. Belonging means you are present. This is important. Belonging means you're present. You have a major impact on DSM when you are here. You have no impact when you are not. When you're here, you leave an impact. You you have influence. Each one of you are a key spiritual component in this living, breathing life form that we call the church. Every follower of Christ plays an important role in the life and atmosphere of our church, of our youth ministry. It's based on your purpose, on your calling, on your spiritual gifts, on the love of your heart, on life experiences, of the atmosphere of your heart. You play a significant role. When you are absent, There is something missing from us. There is something missing from the body of Christ. And it's all your gifts. It's your life. It's your heart. It's your passions. It's your spirit that adds to the whole. We miss it when you're missing. Making this ministry better with you and worse off without you is what happens. Because you're a part of the body, it would be like me trying to play baseball without my right throwing arm. 
wouldn't go over so well. It'd be like me fishing with no arms. Can you imagine me trying to fish with no arms? I'd look like I had to pee, and I'd be grabbing the fishing pole with my mouth. It wouldn't work. I wouldn't catch a thing if my arms were missing. But each of you is part of the body, and when you're missing, we're not complete. We are not whole. We have to remember this, especially when we talk about the power and authority of the Holy Spirit manifesting in our presence. Satan has many people fooled into thinking that they don't really mean much and have little or nothing to contribute to the whole. He's got some of you fooled into that. So who cares if I don't show up? But in reality, it is so important in the spiritual realm. It is so important to the life of us as a body of believers, as DSM, that you are here when we meet together. When we come together, you are so valuable to this body, to this body of students that we call DSM. You are valued. You are highly valued. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just tell him, you are highly valued. Good. All right, number four, last one. All right, we're valued enough. Come back. Come back. Number four. Last one, belonging means caring about the people around you. That's what it means to belong to a body. That's what it means to belong to a youth ministry. We care for the people around us. Now think about this. Christ is not head of the church if he is not Lord of your life. It's hard for God to be head of this youth ministry if he's not Lord of your life. If you make choices and decisions independently of his leading in your life, independently of his will, his word, his ways, then that is the way you will function in this team that we call DSM. If you're living independently from God, chances are the body will live independently from God. The word of God will not have authority in the church if you will not allow authority in your life. There will not be Love in the church, if the love of God is not being poured into your life through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine David or I speaking without being in prayer or Brandon getting up to preach and he hasn't touched the Bible all week? He hasn't been in God's presence all week. Can you imagine Corey, whose very job and purpose is to come on this stage and lead us as a body, lead us as a family into the very throne room of God, into God's presence. Can you imagine if Corey wasn't prayed up? If Corey hadn't been in God's presence that week, how's he going to know how to lead us there? How's he going to know how to get us there? We would be a church... If that were to take place, we would be a church void of his power and his presence. Shoot, we'd probably look like 80% of the other churches in our country. 80% of the other youth ministries. One day, Jesus, Jesus confronted a group of super religious people. He really nailed the problem. He said, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I mean, how could he say that? Because the love of God is demonstrated in words and actions. As you care for the people around you. And they didn't have it. These guys didn't have it. It was obvious. You can't be filled with the love of God and at the same time be filled with the spirit of gossip, the spirit of backbiting, the spirit of division. I believe that when Christ comes and calls the church to give account, to give an account, the record will clearly show that the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the church will not have been the armies of hell. 
but the apathetic people who sat in the chairs. We become the greatest hindrance. When we do not value each other, and we do not value the presence of God. However, the opposite is also true. The greatest asset the church has is its people in it. You are the greatest asset. God has chosen to move and work through you and in you. That's, that's the way that he wants to, 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 to spread his name across the earth. It's through you. People who belong to each other and are for each other, filled with the Holy Spirit, passionate about following Jesus. That's what God wants. We're in this together. You know, Gandhi, that great leader of India, is reported to have said, I would be a Christian today if it were not for Christians. Because we didn't represent. We haven't represented it. And I feel like it's time that, that as DSM, that we begin to reflect what God intended when he created the church. So when we walk into this place, we walk into it with expectation. When we walk into this place, we value people. It means we value whoever's up here leading worship and we're not on our cell phones and talking. It means we value who's preaching. Because we didn't just come up here nonchalant, not spending any time, not working our tails off to preach a message to you. We came here because we've been in prayer this week. We've been worshiping. We've been crying out. I said, God, what do you have for these young people this week? So we expect that you would value us as much as we value you. One of the ways that we're going to value each other this year is we're going to have desperation groups. And it's kind of our new small group structure. We're going to have two guys and two girls that represent every campus. But instead of like a campus group that comes together as a whole, every leader, and we already have almost 45 leaders signed up. Every leader is going to meet with four or five students. That's going to be a smaller group. And I hope that you sign up to be a part of it. And we have instructed our leaders that they can choose if there's students that they already have a relationship with, if there's students that God's putting on their heart. They may come and ask you over the course of the next three or four weeks. We're going to start kick these off in October, probably mid-October. We're going to be asking you. We're going to have sign-up sheets that, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And it doesn't have to be with your campus where you're keeping that because it's a great on-ramp for when we have new people come into this body that we want to love and serve. Say, hey, what school do you go to? Oh, hey, let me connect you with this campus pastor. So we want you to meet in groups of four or five at least every other week, to where, man, you're just, you're just loving on each other. You're holding each other accountable. You're connecting with each other. You're being the family of God. That's the whole purpose to it. It's the whole purpose to desperation groups. And I feel like in that, you as our students will be valued and will be cared for. Now think about that. We already have like 45 leaders. If they're each meeting with five different students, that's over 200 of our student body that are being part of the family actively on a weekly basis. That's awesome. That's something great to get excited about. And I hope that number increases. I hope we, you know, build that. I hope we have 75, 100 leaders. That'd be four or 500 students that we could care for, love, and disciple. 
So that's, that's, that's part of the vision of belonging to a family this year, are those new desperation groups. So I want you to take advantage of those things. I want you to get involved. I want you to be a part of that. Just like I want you to be a part of the, of the prayer thing come September 16th on Sunday mornings. Remember donuts. Come, be a part of it. Let encounter God. You know, sometimes, I mean, let me be honest with you. I admit, sometimes there's not a hunger inside of me for the things of God. It's not something that you just capture and keep. It's something that you have to cultivate inside of you. And I've heard, I've heard David say many times, what you feed yourself on is what you will crave. What you feed yourself on is what you will desire. It's what you'll want. It's what you'll crave. So if we start feeding ourselves, feeding ourselves on God, feeding ourselves on the supernatural, feeding ourselves on the Holy Spirit, feeding ourselves on his presence, guess what we're going to crave? We're going to crave his presence more than Xbox. We're going to crave his presence more than texting. We're going to crave his presence more than eating ice cream, even though that's hard for me. We're going to crave that. We're going to desire that. Now, what happens if our entire student body starts craving the things of God? Oh, man. The floodgates are going to open. We're going to be washed. We're going to be in a whitewash of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys have ever been in the ocean or been in the waves, and you have those big 8, 10-foot waves rolling in. You just curl up and hold on for dear life because it just washes you when it comes rolling in. I want to be washed like that in the presence of God. I want to be washed like that in the Holy Spirit. I want to have such intimacy with God that I know that his presence is with me, that he has my back, that I can go pray for people, that I can lay my hands on people, that I don't have to be afraid. Even if they're complete strangers in the movie theater, complete strangers in the mall, man, I see them, I see they're hurting, I see they're broken, man, I'm just going because, man, God's got my back. Heaven's armies are behind me. I'm just going because the presence of God is living inside of me. Doesn't that sound fun? That sounds fun to me. Fun to walk around with an army of young people, united, one in heart, one in mind, with power at their fingertips, with the love of Jesus inside their hearts, advancing the kingdom, creating revival, creating movement, taking back a generation. That's exciting. Close your eyes for a minute. We're going to wrap up. What do you believe God wants to do this year? I want you to dream. I want you to dream for just a couple moments here. Ask him, God, what do you want to do this year? And I want you to dream big. Dream bigger than life. Forget about resources. Forget about how much money it might cost. I mean, dream as big as you can possibly dream. What does God want to do this year, in my life, in my school, on my campus, through us as a body of believers, through us as DSM, the church. We are the church. We walk with power and authority. We've been anointed. It's available to us if we would just take advantage of it. It's the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
given to us to make a difference. Dream. Dream. I'm believing this year that we're going to hear stories of students all over in this body. Stories like Zach Dillon's story who called his entire school campus to prayer and fasting and over a hundred showed up. TCA's prayer group is meeting. There's like 75 students coming to it. Man, that's, that's, that's a birth of a revival that's going to start taking place. What's God calling you to? Does God want you to move with faith, authority? What if some of our junior hires this year began to just experience miracle after miracle, healing after healing, because they were bold enough to go pray with people who were in wheelchairs? All we need is the courage. All we need is to be listening, to be obedient. And when God says go, we go. And you know what? If they don't get up and walk, it's okay. You were obedient. It's not your job. It's God's job. Let's be an obedient people who love, care, cherish one another. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.